Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Chat. Today, we are pleased to welcome Daytime Emmy nominee Paul Telford to the panel. Paul is best known for portraying Xander Kiriakis on NBC's Days of Our Lives. Paul, how are you today? Very well. I think that's the first time I've been introduced while I was present to hear myself be introduced as an Emmy nominee. That was quite delicious. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> that's well, right. Hey, you earned it. <laughs> you oh, should have won. Oh, that's sweet. It's all rigged. No, it's, uh, it was <laughs> just an honor to be nominated. See, he said what I said. Y'all <laughs> laughed at me because I was drunk, but I said what I said. <laughs> well, Dee, how about you continue to say what you say and go into your first question for Paul? <laughs> I have so many, but I'm like, I'm going to try to be chill about it. So, um, many people on Twitter feel that Xander has lost his bad boy edge since Sarah came into his life. Do you agree or do you disagree? Yeah, I mean, he has in, in many ways, certainly as regards him and, and Maggie. And I think that's, that's okay. You know, like, you know, it was one thing when he was a, a, a recurring dastard that would like, chip in and out every now and then and steal a baby or you know just make out with a gay hustler or whatever he was up to but you know if i'm going to be on the show for a protracted period of time i i did agree that you know there had to be if not a, a softening then just to just open him up a little bit like you know open his heart give him some warmth i didn't necessarily expect him to be thrown you know head over heels in love with somebody and you know fostering a child or you know adopting a child and doing everything that they he was he had to do but i just started to see it as all of you know this grand project that he had of like not so much self-improvement but self-advancement you know like if I, I the way i tried to rationalize a lot of it was that you know, he's an incredibly selfish reactionary person and the things that he wants out of life aren't necessarily uh, good or, or noble but he does want legitimacy and he wants respect and i think he saw sarah and maggie's uh, approval and a relationship with sarah as being a little fast track to getting all those things and then along the way you know just like the grinch you know his heart did grow a couple of sizes whether he liked it or not and you know all of a sudden he was genuinely upset and genuinely devastated at the, the bad things that he'd done not just about getting caught but understanding the effects it was having because for the first time he was doing bad things he was doing good things for bad reasons and bad things for good reasons it was the first time he did something bad that actually affected somebody he cared about because he doesn't care about anybody up until now so so personally yes obviously there's some some edges have been rounded off a little bit but there's still plenty of other edges and still other things to be revealed about him and the thing that I hope is that by giving him some people to care about and giving him, you know, some softness or some warmth, he can continue to be surprising. Because if he's just a villain all the time, then you always kind of know that whatever he's up to, you know, he's going to have some, you know, negative, evil, ulterior motive. But if you're always on the back foot where you're not sure if he's, oh, is he, being a, is he trying to be good? Is he actually being good? Is he being bad just to get what he wants? Is he being good just to get what he wants? Like, it just it leaves a lot more room to play in. So, so, yeah, I don't disagree with them. I just don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I don't either. <laughs> There's always got to be the complexity of a character there. 
always. Yeah, and like I said, I just like the idea that, you know, <laughs> he's still awful to everybody. Like, the only people he's <laughs> nice to is Sarah and Maggie. And then just recently, Jack, he started to, you know, oh, a, a man that I can talk to? Okay, that's, that's cool, because he's I just love at, that like, hostile. I, I love that friendship. That is the I best friendship. That, that came out really of nowhere. That was for it came out of nowhere, yeah. but it's something I never knew I needed. But it's funny because, yeah, it comes out of nowhere. But at the same time, it's canon. I mean, it's in the, you know, the, the scenes that we've shot that Xander brought Jack back from the dead and, like, you know, um, helped. I mean, I assume he was, like, helping him walk and, you know, changing his diapers or whatever. I don't know about Rolf. We never really got into the scenes with Dr. Rolf on how that whole that works. You know, do they start as babies and they grow in a lab or do they just come out of the, the oven just... You know, like as adults, like when he when he closed something and brings it back. So um, so yeah, there must have been some process of trust or friendship built between it, them before he delivered him to Eve. You know, so well, it, it came out, work, but, yeah. yeah, it came out of nowhere. But Jack has a past himself, so past right. Jack has done some badass things himself. So he could probably like you know feel what Xander's going through or trying to redeem himself in Salem and all that stuff. So I'm not. It came out of nowhere, but I'm not surprised that you two would right. have Well, yeah. and then also there was that thing, you know, a while back where, you know, Xander, you know, when he first brought Jack back, I think, and he was like teasing Eve and like manipulating Eve about it and trying to get, you know, Rolf's diary. And um, he kept talking about the fact that, you know, Jack had a really nice setup. You know, you got to be careful, Eve. He'll go back you know, and be with Jennifer, you know, those Hortons, that's a really cushy life if you can get in on it. And then all of a sudden I come back on contract and I'm trying to mack on a Horton girl. And, and so I was like, there is, you know, as much as he's being a sweet, you know, puppy dog in love with Sarah, there was always this kind of like cynical underpinning to it, I felt, that, like I say, just gradually got whittled away. And so Jack's a good part of that as well, where like, you know, he can cynically want to be friends with Jack because of the, the newspaper or Jack's past associations or whatever. But then he just can't help himself when somebody's finally nice to him, like when somebody's finally nice to Xander, to you know, for it to seep its way into his you know crooked little fraction of a heart that he has, you know. Because as much as Xander is a dick and awful, so is everybody else to him. I mean, they're all so mean to him, and pretty much from the jump, like as soon as he showed up, the only person that was nice to him was Nicole, and then she immediately, you know, I don't know if we can swear on this, but like messed him around. Um, you know, with uh, Daniel and with uh, uh, Eric, you know, so I, I always justified everything you did by the fact that well, everybody else is terrible too. <laughs> and by the way, we swear all the time on here. All the time. Okay, good. All That's the great. Time. I'm the worst one. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> no, Tiggs is the worst one. It's not a good well, I think I curse more than Tiggs. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, Paul, you mentioned all these wonderful people that you've gotten to work with through your years at Days of Our Lives, but one person I love you in scenes with is John Aniston, um, who plays Victor, of course. So what has it been like to play the Victor-Xander dynamic through the years? Well, it was one of those things that I felt was I was very lucky early on uh, just to get to be around somebody like John. Like, he's an absolute master. I mean, just speaking as an actor, um, you know, I, I was uh, I was a bit cocky when I first showed up there. I didn't want to particularly do a soap opera um, and had been offered opportunities to do them repeatedly over the years and in my own snooty way kind of turned them down or, or sabotaged them or, or whatever. 
and so by the time days came around and the timing was perfect and I liked the character and it all it all kind of made sense to do I kind of waltzed in there thinking I'm such a good actor I've done all of these like prime time things and blah 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 and my theater work in London and the BBC and and very quickly realized how difficult it actually is to do anything remotely <laughs> natural under the circumstances. And whereas John is just an absolute machine, like just, I mean, even early on, I would, uh, I'd be very, I'm, I'm very uh, assiduous about learning my lines and um, to a fault, in fact, I would overlearn, you know, and get stressed and get almost a bit robotic in, in trying to memorize lines. And I'd show up, um, you know, at work and just be in the the dress, uh, the makeup room, and John would like saunter in and begin his process of getting his makeup on and pull out a script. And I could see that he was beginning to memorize his lines at that point. Not not he wasn't refreshing his memory or like he was beginning to learn his lines at like six thirty a.m. in the makeup chair. And I was like. <gasps> Oh, I don't know if this is going to work. Is, it, is this allowed? Are they really going to let him get it? Well, this is going to be a nightmare. And then, of course, I go and do the scene. He knows all his stuff, no problem. And I'm all like yammering and getting things wrong, and my diction's oh terrible, God. and I have to re-say it and retake. And I was like, "Well, that was humbling." And the more I've been around him, and the more I I, I get to work with him, and the more honestly, the more I've been on the show and, and come to understand um, all all the areas that I've had to improve and and my craft and, and myself in, in so many ways a lot of it has come from observing John because he has this incredible clarity and simplicity to what he does which is the opposite of what I do with Sanders. Sanders loud and I'm always shouting or, or whispering and then shouting or getting in people's faces and then coming back and it's all a lot of like animation and, and hectic kind of acting a lot of energy whereas John manages to still project all of this strength and, and charisma and, and um, gravitas um, but he's just talking you know and he's, he's just just saying the lines and, and um, like learning to to imbue uh, the lines with that level of like confidence and um, precision is, is something that I want to work on as I now try to mature Xander because I've always played Xander as very as very kind of like almost juvenile but now it feels like he's been through enough that those reactions and those types of behaviors aren't really consistent anymore with the person and what he's gone through. It's still going to be fun. He's still going to do funny things and be unpredictable. But I also want to add a layer of maturity where it's appropriate. And I think that's where I'm really going to start just stealing from John. <laughs> just just whole, wholesale like theft of, of some of his like traits and uh, performance techniques. But yeah, I love it. He's really funny. He's so dry. Like very early on, uh, when I was on my first like go on the show, um, I remember the first time I got invited into his dressing room to run lines, which was a whole big thing. I think it was like he finally noticed that I was going to be like sticking around for a minute. Like, <laughs> so okay, he, he can come and he can come and rehearse. Then. And so I, I go to his dressing room, which is very it keeps it real hot in there, and um, it was like baking hot, and he's half looking at me half looking at uh like the, the kelly clarkson show whatever was on back then you know like uh, the daytime show that he likes to enjoy in his dressing room and i was just trying to like do some small talk banter with him like hey so uh what's it like like being on the show for forever like i mean <laughs> is it different now to how it was in the 80s and he just went off on this litany of all the things that you know were, uh, were so amazing about the show in, in the 80s versus what it's like now and he's like location shoots we went to greece like we got you know 10 
12, 15 million viewers in data. I was like, listing all this stuff. At the end of it, I was like, so why does he still do it? <laughs> like, he said, he said it's so, like, negative. I was like, what? I mean, it feels like maybe if it's so diminished, this isn't something you would want to do anymore. He's like, ugh, he's working for a living. And it just, just made me laugh. Like, it was just such a clear, um, like, love for not just our show, but just, just acting, just to, you know, he, he, to have an opportunity to do it and to do it at the level that he does it. Um, I, I think that fills him with, you know, so much uh, uh, motivation, you know, to, uh, to push through, you know, what is a relatively difficult job to do when you're a fit and healthy young person. And, you know, uh, to see these veterans, you know, just still show us how to do it every day is it's honestly humbling. I really, really, I don't ever want to retire. So I really hope to be able to be remotely in the kind of condition John is to keep working. Um, it's a huge inspiration. Um, so Rodrigo, let's go to you next. What is your first question for Paul? So Paul, what do you enjoy more playing? The bad boy, the romantic lead, or just a little bit of both? I, well, I enjoy playing the romantic lead just because it's something I've very rarely gotten to do. Um, I did a little bit of it in Hercules and a little bit of it in just bits and bobs over, over the years, but never really a serious romance that got to like play out as a full storyline. So it's nice just to, to, I always assumed it would be easy. It was actually very difficult. Um, you know, and so like as a challenge and as a, a new experience, as a, a point of growth, as, as an actor and as and for Xander as well that was very enjoyable but just in terms of like sheer fun yeah I, I, I love being the bad guy um, it's no surprise that my little movie that I made um I wrote and produced a movie called Green Rush and um it's no surprise that I wrote myself an awful bad guy in it because yeah I do it's you just get to let rip as a bad guy in a way that you never really are permitted to as a hero or as a sporting character in any other way and the audience still loves you for it because you're performing a service like you're giving them someone to hate and um if you do it well they can hate and love you at the same time and that's it's really fun yeah i would never want xander to be so redeemed or so softened that you know he becomes toothless and, and dull so that that won't happen i, I won't permit that well, I must say, as a romantic lead, it does work because those love scenes between you and Lindsay the other day really, like, <laughs> cemented that you are really our romantic lead on that show. Oh. Good to hear. That was, uh, yeah, yes. it was spicier than I remembered it being. Yes, which <laughs> we Lindsay will. and I were both like, we definitely have to talk about Fifty Shades of Salem. <laughs> but first, um, I know Alan wanted to talk to you about your amazing film. Um, so Alan, please ask away. Yeah, I watched it last night. I really liked it. Oh, I'm it's, so glad you watched it. Yeah, it's $5.99 Amazon listeners. It less than a couple we have to talk about. You can, you can watch it for yourselves. Okay, and uh, the end of the film, was basically a predator's known and unknown. What attracted you to telling the story? Because you co-wrote it and starred in it. I'm sorry. Could you say that again? My my uh, earphone just fuzzed for a second. Okay. Uh, the theme of them was basically predators known and unknown. Right. What attracted you to telling the story? 
it's just that very last, last what sentence. You, just, what attracted you to telling the story? Oh, um, I've just always been fascinated by um, the, <laughs> the, the dissonance between us all living in society and civilization and wanting to be civilized people. But on, on the other hand, us all being filled with these antisocial needs and urges. And, you know, the idea of playing all that out in a very like primal space, like this, you know, little farm that's, you know, this weed farm that's far away from the police, that's far away from any help, the cell phones don't work. Like it would just be like reverting back to a more like primal um, state. And, you know, we, we had the sense that we, what we really wanted to do with a, a low budget film is to make a, a thriller that could give a sense of what we could do with a bigger budget. And the best way to do it seemed to be was, was to exploit some kind of natural environment and so that that's why the the weed story and the weed farm became so important once we got that location we just wrote everything to that and it just spoke to like you know there was the location had a cave it had you know these um greenhouses it had this nasty ramshackle building that everybody lived in this big shed and it just it just started to feel like a really like i say primal place and then we the more we started thinking about that about that we're thinking about you know uh just what it is to be a human animal like once you're separated from all the the help that can come from civilization and all the tools and all the 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 the, the mass of like the structures that we've built to make like our lives easier for us once all that's pulled away and a baddie is coming to get you or literally eat you <laughs> um oh what yeah you really nom 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 someone yeah exactly and and also that idea of like a predatory human like um, there's all kinds of ways that humans can predate on each other, either emotionally or physically, as, as the bad guy does, or financially or sexually. And so we just wanted to make sure all those different kinds of predatory behaviors were played out through action, but also through, you know, the, the uh, rather intense uh, dialogue scenes that we have in there as well. So, um, yeah, that was the, the main thing was to try and uh, by giving it this like primal uh, vicious quality it would allow me to work and and show a lot of the stuff that i've been working on 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 uh on days with sander but with an r rating where i didn't have to worry about standards and practices that i didn't have to i mean not that that seems to matter anymore after that love scene that we showed the <laughs> other day but uh, <laughs> but certainly that would just be that would like allow me to unleash the uh the bad the real deep deep nasty bad guy that is in there um, in, a, in a way that daytime TV wouldn't permit, so yeah. You got to bite booty on TV, so I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from, I mean, come on, one in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. It really feels like, you know, all bets are off right now because you know, the quarantine and, you know, the slow dissolution of democracy and everything else that's happening. <laughs> uh, so like maybe, maybe no one's checking anymore and we can just do porn in the middle of the day. <laughs> I'm okay with this. I approve this message. Look, my grandmother was okay with it. So that's all I'm saying. Granny approved. <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> um, Tiggs, let's go to you now. What is your first question for Paul? All right, Paul, Xander has done a lot of things. Where was it any time where he did something so bad where you were just like, well, I don't think I'll be back to the show after this. Where you feel like they won't hit me into a corner, you were just like, yeah, see y'all. 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much all the time, especially um, especially early on. You know, I came on as as Victor's henchman, Damon, and did like four or six episodes, wherever it was, just a few. And I thought that was going to be it, and maybe I'd, I'd dip in here and there and, and and do scenes, do you know episodes every now and then. Um, but then they offered me a contract as Xander, and all I knew, all they said, you know, I didn't get a lot of information about the character before I showed up and before the script started arriving. But all they said was that he was a charming villain, um, a psychopath who, you know, just in, in the same scene can be, you know, smiling and, and, and sweet and then wringing somebody's neck. And I was like, great, can do, no problem. That's right in my wheelhouse. But then early on, none of that was happening. I was just being this charming dude who like waltzes into town in a suit and I'm being very gallant with Teresa and very gallant with Nicole. And um, then... All of a sudden, you know, uh, uh, Serena, Melissa Archer turned up and I'm like crushing her fingers under a table and throwing her around a bedroom and being all like, you know, um, physical and awful with her. And I was like, oh, well, the fans aren't going to like that. But at least I was like, well, at least it's starting to get the psycho stuff going. So that's kind of cool. And then that just started escalating and escalating until I remember being in Ariane's dressing room, um, running lines and just being like, Am I getting fired? Because how how am I going to put you and Eric in like a pizza oven and, and cook you um, and then just be all like, no problem, guys. Like, you're just waltzing around town with my briefcase like I'm a businessman still and everyone's going to be chill with it. And then so Ariane was like, don't worry about it. And started like listing all the terrible things that she had done and all the terrible things that all the different characters had done. She's like, it happens all the time. But then a month later, I was fired. So <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> I, mean, I was like, once, well, once you shot. Flat twist. <laughs> yeah. You are actually fired. Yeah. But no, it was cool because um, I remember that when I thought I really had been, I thought I'd been fired when they, they did this like fake kill of Xander. I don't know if anybody will remember, but right after all of that kicked off, um, Victor kind of like had me kidnapped and held in a basement and yeah. had a knife to my, my throat. So in, in the immediate episode before that, they did like, I was shot with like a stun gun but in the, or, or a dart or whatever. But in the episode, it was played as if I'd been shot. And when I got that script, I really thought that was it. I thought I was, I was done. But then I did have a good month after that. And that's when they started just demeaning him and, and making him the gardener. And I was literally, I remember on like one of my final episodes of that original run, they had me dressed as the gardener and carrying this massive um, sack of um, cow shit, basically. It was like st uh, steer manure. Um, and, you know, so, and it, was a full, it, was a, it wasn't a fake prop. It was a real, like, 20-pound bag of, oh. of cow manure <laughs> that I was, like, carrying through Old Town Square. And I was like, damn, you, when you guys let somebody go, you really, you know, you really push them out the door, don't you? <laughs> and, um, and they were like, well, you know, uh, you just have to carry this you know, bag of shit today. And, and then you're free. I was like, oh, like I haven't been carrying shit on my, this shit on my shoulders for three months. Like, it's a joke. But, um, but yeah, so they, they were very cute about it all. But when I was let go that time, uh, the EP Albert was like, look, you, you know, this, this isn't anything that you're doing. It's just we need to make room for people to bring back to the anniversary. Lots of people are, are being let go. Lots of writers are being let go. It's not you. I'm going to try and bring you back. And to be fair, he was totally true to his word. Um, so and since then, um, I've just letting go. I've just tried to let go of any worries about um, my future on the show. I just assume that I don't. That I, I'm. 
I'm just grateful for what I get as opposed to worrying about if it might go away, if you know what I mean. Um, especially with a show that is constantly has like the, you know, guillotine of cancellation hanging over it the whole time. I just don't think it does any good to get too precious about your hopes for what the future might be. I, so I, I just am very grateful to have the job and to get to go and play there all the time. And so now I, when, I, when I do terrible things or, or don't do terrible things, um, I, I worry less about the consequences of it to me as an actor and more if it's just going to be entertaining. Hey, if, you can, if you can get away with shooting Marlena Evans, yeah, that's what I was saying. You're good. You're well, good. I've got to say, that was the one that drove. I was, I was mad about that one because it's one thing to do something like that when you're on the show and you're like getting the scripts and you're, you know, like, I'm going to shoot Marlena or you know whatever. It's a whole other thing when you've been off the show for five months and you come back and like, oh, by the way, you shot Marlena. Hold this rifle so we can get like a. A, sh a shot of you that we can insert to an episode that we've already shot. I was like, well, this is a bit of a jip. <laughs> and, and also, what, what drove me mad about it, it's the same as Dander with women, uh, up until very recently. He's just so incompetent. Like, I never actually got to kill anybody. I never actually got to, like, make love to anybody. The, the closest I got to any kind of, like, romance would be me trying to strangle Teresa or trying to strangle Nicole. <laughs> so it was always, like, I felt like a mix of, like, Pepe Le Pew and, like, Elmer Fudd. <laughs> you know I mean? it's like, you know, they cannot get anything done. So, uh, so yeah, the Marlena thing was like, I wasn't even trying to shoot her. I was trying to shoot Eric. Well, I'm a bad shot too. Great. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so Dee, let's head back to you. What is your next question for Paul? Um, my question is more about Titan. If Xander is never allowed back into the family company, who would you choose to head up Titan between Sierra, Philip, Brady, or Sonny? I'm gonna try to keep my opinions to myself about Sonny Kiriakis. I think Zand, I mean, honestly, because he's so hostile to other men generally and doesn't trust them and so insecure. And so I, I, and I know he's had his, his ins and outs with, with Sierra. But I, I think, he, and he does tend to be quite uh, equal opportunity, you know, like you never catch Xander having a go at somebody's sexuality or having a go at them just because they're a woman or because they're, you know, a, a different race or whatever. I mean, he's a terrible person, but he's an equal opportunity, terrible person. Like, you know, he hates everybody. So um, I actually think he'd probably be more in Ciara's corner, especially if he thinks that maybe he could like come back and you know, she might be easier to remove, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. maybe you know maybe 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 she'll get pregnant and just want to you know take take some time off from the board and he can just sneak in and take over. <laughs> Whereas like, I mean you're going to see how he feels about Philip very soon. <laughs> like, it's, it, you know all, all these people worried about all these people. All, all these people I'm so excited. All about these people point that point are so point. worried about Xander losing his edge, like, yeah, I mean, it's it's still oh, there, especially I'm as so regards excited. his cousin. Good things. I'm so good ready things, for oh. this. I'm ready for yes. this fight. <laughs> it's like my two boyfriends on screen going at it, all <laughs> and bottle oil, and I am happy. I'm ready. <laughs> well, it's fun because you know, without giving anything away, but from the moment he turns up, Xander's just like, <laughs> like he's just like, who is this? Like, because basically Xander finally gets everything. He's ever like it's all of it in a big boat, like everything's ever wanted. And then Philip shows up, and it's like, you know, because it just immediately un undercuts and you know uh, makes his position in the family unstable all over again. You know, 
because now here's another you know prodigal scion of the Kyriakos clan waltzing back in to take what Xander feels is rightfully his. So yeah, there's a lot of fun to be had there for sure. My poor baby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I can't wait to see the Xander and Philip dynamic play out. Um, that'd be very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Alan, let's go back to you. What's your next question for Paul? So we know Xander will do anything for love or what he perceives to be love. Blackmail, putting a hole in Marlena, barring a baby. Do you think the root of that is the fact that he's a black sheep and he's kind of desperate for validation and love? Absolutely. I think, um, again, like, like I always talk about how I've, I've played him kind of, you know, juvenile over the years, which, you know, reflects, you know, I, I'm just trying to say the words I'm given for the most part. And he is kind of juvenile. And I think so much of that comes from, you know, they did a nice job if, with the scenes I had with Suzanne, with Maggie, um, revealing that, you know, he does come from this really kind of like broken, uh, degraded, you know, um, home and upbringing. You know, where he had a lot of uncertainty and, and not a lot of support or love or, or any of that. And um, so this idea that he's always seen the Kyriakuses and Titan and all that is this like shining, um, you know, uh, goal that he is both entitled to be a part of, but also shunned from. I, th I think that was a really good motivating uh, force uh, for the character, the driving force for the character for all of the run up to the show prior to the, the time jump. And now that we're on the other side of it and he's gotten a little taste of legitimacy and a little taste of what it's like when the town doesn't just despise him, um, even though a lot of it didn't work out. And even though it very quickly boomeranged around on him and everybody hated him anyway, um, I, th I think he still has that desire for legitimacy even if it's only perceived i don't think he necessarily if he could still be a terrible person but have everybody think that he's a great person and he's getting away with it all i think he'd be fine with that you know what i mean i think that's part of like what will be fun moving forward is is the times where he like cuts corners or does nefarious things even when he doesn't have to just because he's refer rever reverting to type if you know what i mean but i think so much of the the black sheep stuff and really the disrespect that Victor had shown him for so long, um, you know, like he can only be validated by Victor and he can only get what he wants from life through Victor. Well, that's changed now. Now his validation comes from Sarah, you know, like he knows so long as, she, you know, the reflection of himself that he sees in her eyes, so long as he can see himself reflected in her eyes, he'll be okay. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's more important to him now. Like, so he has a new, strength that he, he wouldn't have had without Sarah. And um, the fact that even Victor now is kind of on board with that and has started to see him as a legitimate part of the family. Um, yeah, it's just, it's nice to have actually achieved some growth in, in, in the character and, and those changes. But of course, it's all very fragile and at any moment can be taken away from him because there's just so many people in the family. <laughs> you know, like there's always another cousin that can come walking through the door to mess it up for him. That's true. The Kyriakis line is quite expansive. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was so funny. Sarah, like Lindsay and I always joke about it. It's like, well, you know, thank God like, our two characters weren't related because you know, we are, we're just not blood relations. So it's like, you know, everybody is, you know, there should be a lot more like, like um, 
webbed fingers and you know like banjo playing and saying like, <laughs> it should be it's actually the, yeah. the, the, the yeah, that's the one thing about like, Dave everybody is related Somehow everybody's like, related to somebody on that show <laughs> everybody I know it's so funny well, every day it has to start with like a blood test and a genealogy <laughs> chart and ancestry one character dated is to make sure it's all <laughs> two yeah Chelsea and Stephanie Max Brady dated two nieces He's yeah. adopted, so it was so creepy, low. <laughs> oh, I couldn't stand it. I hated that. Oh. That's my last trash. Um, um, oh. So, Paul, uh, we certainly dug into just a little bit of the Fifty Shades of Salem. <laughs> um, but let's talk about more when you received that script. <laughs> so, what were your thoughts on this playing out? <laughs> Well, it's so funny because you just get, you get so used to the new normal of being on a soap opera that honestly, it, it was more that like Lindsay and I were kind of annoyed that we hadn't had a love scene yet. Like, and it's not anything about me and Lindsay wanting to like make out. It's about like, it feels like the characters are due. Like we've been through this and we've been through that. And you know, you, then you've got to like, add the year of the time jump too, in terms of like how we're thinking about it, like the characters chronology and just how much time they spent together. And it's an incredibly long time for them to have had this very chaste, like almost platonic, or at least one way platonic, one way head over heels in love, unrequited thing going on between the two of them. And so when the script arrived with the love scene, we were more like, yes, finally, like this is progress and, and whatever. So we weren't really even thinking about the nuts and bolts of what it would actually be and how we would go about shooting it. And you know we're like buddies now, like um, so that doesn't actually make it easier. That kind of makes it weirder. Like when all of a sudden you know you're doing all the smooching and all, all, all the the whatnot to be like, hey buddy, how's your kids? And uh, how's, how's moving into the new place went well? Okay, oh there's your okay. You know it's just all very you know unusual. But um, we were still nonetheless like just from a professional perspective just relieved and excited that the it felt like the show was going to really go for it with these characters because we love working together and it was through Sarah and especially through Lindsay ultimately that I came to understand how Xander could be viable on the show whether it was with Sarah or somebody else or, or whatever I, I didn't really click that you kind of have to be a part of a, of a couple um, in order to have any longevity just because of the way the show's made and the way the show is consumed. Up until then, I was just like, well, why can't I just be a, a nasty bastard who's just, you know, in town all the time, committing crimes and not getting caught? And it's like, well, at a certain point, it just becomes so unrealistic and so um, one note that you just be interchange like they could slot anybody in to do that. It's like you're just an antagonist. Whereas if you come to have some grayness and some unpredictability and some you know, and also uh, what I started to realize is a lot of the, the people that watch the show, they don't watch all of the show. Do you know what I mean? They watch their bits of the show that they enjoy and they, they kind of ignore or, or gloss over other parts. And some people just don't particularly like villains. So they're, they're like, Ugh, I don't like all the shouting, they'll just get through that. But then when they see you being nice and friendly to Suzanne or nice and friendly to Sarah, oh, just give it a watch for a second. And, and then they start to get pulled and then maybe they can retroactively start to enjoy the villain stuff. So I, I just really started to understand that without opening up in that way and without pursuing that Xander was never going to be a contract player on the show and so for them to give us that scene really felt like 
they were giving us a big thumbs up and that it was and and just not to be a dick but it was just a big change of pace and a relief after all the cancer baby kidnap baby the baby's dying the baby's alive it's not your baby you know just all it was like that was a lot and it wasn't necessarily what i anticipated for my first full year on contract as a sexy villain guy it was like okay this is strange this is not what i was i enjoyed it and i'm very grateful for it but it was just it was unexpected um so to finally come all through through all the way through all of that to like having nice romantic dinners and a big you know pash session with the you know the characters love yeah we were into it <laughs> like we just felt like it was what we've been doing had been rewarded or at least recognized by the writers and they now have confidence in us moving forward but then like i say then the reality hit of like oh now we've got to shoot it <laughs> <laughs> because you know and i'm so it's so amazing that they gave that very sexy scene to YouTube because Ron Calabardi has a history of sexing up daytime by a hundred. <laughs> you know, when he wrote General Hospital, there were threesomes. When One Life to Live ended, there was a great love scene between a super couple. Um, so it's amazing that you two characters got to play that after so much angst and build up. Yeah, it really felt like you know, there'd been so much pressure at that point because, you know, of everything they'd, they'd gone through. And, you know, we, we had all these scenes together and we would be kind of like uh, emotionally intimate, but not necessarily passionate because of where the characters were at that time. So to kind of like have this one epic, like, which we didn't, ex I mean, when I watched it on telly, I was like, wow, it, I expected it to cut away a lot more than there's like, they just stayed in it and there was a song and everything. I was like, whew, this is, we're still going, huh? All right. Um, it, it really did feel like studios. If he cut anything, yeah. I was going to show up. We have been campaigning for this for over a year now. I'm not feed us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that, that's how it felt. It, it felt like a, yeah. a good like, like it also. To be fair, it is it is sexy and it is like over the top in a lot of ways for daytime. But also, it, it was sensitive. And there was like, it was a loving, sexy time. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it was fraught with a kind of like delicate danger as well, almost of not wanting to mess it up. You know, like Xander especially knew the stakes and, and at this point knows what it means to recommit himself to Sarah after everything that he's done and to have earned her trust or, or at least her love back is so fraught with uh, danger if he messes it up that, I was glad that that kind of came through in the scene, and yeah. So I mean, it's a very strange to talk about. <laughs> it didn't look strange. It just looked hot. Woo! Oh, bless you. <laughs> there we Job done. Well, I'll, I'll put it on my Emmy reel. <laughs> That'll be my Emmy reel next year. <laughs> yes. Yes. Please do it. <laughs> um, so Rodrigo, let's head back to you. What's your next question for Paul? Well, we all know head writer Ron D. Carlibody is known for his wild and crazy storylines, but how wild and crazier can he make Xander? Like, do you think Xander has gone far enough, or is is you know how far do you think they can push Xander? Oh, there's loads. There's so much. we haven't done anything. Like, you don't know who his, we don't really know who his dad is. We've never met his mom. 
Uh, there's so much they could do there. I mean, think of all the fun, amazing actresses they could bring in to kind of like just ruin his life as his mom. He could have like a, an ex-wife tucked away back in Africa from like back when uh -huh. he was over there with, with Eric and stuff. That'd be sweet. If it turned out that, oh, you know, he was married all along. And like, there's all kinds of, and, and not even that, I would love to see him, um, you know, the, I don't see the, any reason why the current version of Xander would not still be able to do awful things just so long as they're to the correct people. You know, like the Demeras, for instance, for instance or, or literally anybody that is outside of the Kyriakis clan. Like the way his morality works to the degree that he even has one, um, it's all about family and, you know, and everybody else can go you know, F themselves. And um, so I still think there's tons of room for him to be getting up to all kinds of hijinks. Like I would, I mean, You'll see if the stuff that's coming through, and I think even during the stuff that's already aired, the show gave the impression that Xander, despite cheating and despite um, manipulating his way into positions of power, once he's in them, he's not incompetent. Like Titan did not was not run into the ground; it was actually doing just fine under his, you know, CEO ship or whatever. And so, to me, it's like I don't see see there's any reason why he couldn't move into that more mature. Um, you know, business guy um, uh, position, just like, you know, his uncle, who he so much wants to emulate, but at the same time, underneath it all, have this criminal empire just building up that he keeps hidden from Sarah, he keeps hidden from Maggie, and, you know, would still cause this conflict and difficulty and craziness as he tries to cover it all up, you know, so, but we'll see, I have no idea what they're going to do, I just know that, you know, to expect the unexpected and that Ron's always gonna push us and, and test us. And I mean, I, things like I would love Leo to come back. I think it'd be so fun, yeah. you know. That stuff was, I mean, I, I think that's a good example of getting the scripts and just being like, it, there was, you could either look at that script and go, oh, really? Or you could look at it and go, yes. And <laughs> to me, it was just a pure yes, because you know, none of that stuff had been explored with Sander. There was no reason why he couldn't have been bisexual or, or, or any, like none of it had been set in stone. And so for them to play with it and tease that he might be this or he might be that, I, I loved all that and would, would you know, welcome more of it. Um, but yeah. So. Sander probably got babies floating around out there that we don't even know about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. So, um, or the evil twin. Yeah. Oh Lord, an evil twin. <laughs> well, uh, an evil. Lord I'd love that because then I, would, I could keep the beard for a bit and do a bunch of evil twin episodes and then shave it and go back to being Xander. Yeah, you do that. I'm a, I'm for that. Let me let me email my uncle Ron right now and ask for that because yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess Xander's evil twin would have to be a good twin. I don't know. It's yeah. But wouldn't that be weird? That, that's I mean... his joke. <laughs> <laughs> like even eviler. Yeah. Oh gosh, your evil twin would be a good like priest twin. Like, and people would be like, right, oh, exactly. It's basically <laughs> Eric. It's like, right. We already have him. Then this one would have to be a monk. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tiggs, let's go back to you. What's your next question for Paul? Well, that was a nice segue because, like, Paul, I wanted to know, like, if you could share a pass to anybody on the show right now, who would it be? Like, if Xander crossed paths with somebody like back in, like 2007 and there's some shitty to him or whatnot, like, who would it be? Well, I mean, outside of... One of my frustrations sometimes with um, the show is that you're very often 
you, you feel like you're setting up to do something and then it doesn't happen or mm. or your character will declare something and you get a big like the camera comes in on you and you say it i'm gonna kill this motherfucker i'm gonna do this motherfucking thing or whatever it is and then it doesn't come to pass doesn't transpire in fact like you never even mention it again and so there's a few of those over the years that i would like to like finish off and like for me like, i would love to have like some kind of proper renewed confrontation with Clyde and with Orpheus you know because we had our thing back in the the day you know where we were on the same side but we never got along and we all hated each other at the time the actors are amazing I loved working with them but the characters hated each other and it was constant friction so I kind of like to do something like that especially once Sander is all back ensconced into his like legitimacy and you know thinks he's pulled the wool over everybody's eyes and he's a great guy for like for those two to come back or one or one or both of them to come back and antagonize him um, as they do with, with everybody else. I think that could be really cool because, you know, who is Xander to uh, lord his morals over either Orpheus or Clyde? They're, they're all terrible. It's just that Xander's made a, a career change towards slight, not being quite so evil, you know, whereas those two are still much ensconced in it. And it really feels like he owes them. I mean, between the Mickey kidnappings and the, you know, the bombings and the whole thing with Maggie and, and the drunk driving in the cars and, and all that, like, you know, it'd be nice to see him, you know, exact some revenge. And at the same time, that's a good opportunity for him to be evil again. Like doing evil things to evil people doesn't mean you're not being evil, you know? Mm. But to really answer the question, um, I'm amazed that the only Demera that I've ever really uh, interacted with is Kristen. Like I had a micro scene with um, fake Steph and Jake and you know, with the book, uh, the Dostoevsky book that they're ripping off me. I mean, that's the only scene we've had together. And I just think, you know, for all the rivalry that's existed between the Kyriakises and the Demeras over the years, that it's kind of odd that I've never even been in a, in a, in, on a set with Billy Flynn or um, a, a anybody that's played Abby. I think it'd be really fun to um, antagonize them and, and to, you know, just go after them for whatever reason, whether it be Feel a business thing or a criminal thing. Mm -hmm. Do it. Feel free to attack Tad whenever you want to. Go ahead. Well, I, well, but I do think it makes for good TV because like me and Billy get along great in real life. And we've always joked about the fact that it's weird that, that we've not interacted. So I think it's kind of long overdue, but who knows that, but I, I would love to, to get into some of that for sure. Let's uh, go back to you. What is your final question for Paul? Well, you know me. I have to talk about the fan base. You know, as, <laughs> as, as Zara fans, as Zara fans, depending on where you're from, are <laughs> I'm just saying, I've met him, and when he says it, and then when other people say it, depending on where you're from, it sounds different. But we are extremely vocal on social media, and me in person, but whatever. Um, what is the wildest thing that one of us has done or said to you? Wait, in real life or on, real on, life on, or the, on the on the internet? On the internet, because I don't think, I mean, other than me, I don't think anybody's crazy enough to come at you that way, but... <laughs> well, besides Alan trying to get you on the show. But even, <laughs> I, didn't, even I didn't come at you that way, because I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> person... No, the, the absolute best, 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 like the single, like, best example I can think of was, um, I was, <laughs> was with my wife, Carmen, and we were coming out of Houston airport where her, her family all is, and um, we were about to fly back to LA and we were both exhausted, had a lot of 
just a lot to deal with while we were down there. Plus, we were just tired, hadn't slept a lot. We just went to the airport bar, we just got a margarita or a beer or whatever, whatever. And I just wasn't thinking. I was just like sat, you know, with my face in my hand, just waiting for the plane and just trying to get this booze in my system to make myself feel better. And we're just like, oh, in this enormous, <laughs> enormous um, gay retiree. Um, I, I, I hate to say um, gay in the sense that like I could tell he was gay from his voice and everything, but, but I just could. Like he was just incredibly gay and then started <laughs> talking about how gay he was as he was talking to me. But he just, and he was talking, he must have been, I'm, 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 I'm like 6'1", six, 6'2", six, he must have been 6'4", um, uh, maybe in his late 50s, early 60s, and just so loud. And all I could hear, I, I didn't even click that he was talking to me yet. I was just like trying to get this margarita going. And I just kept hearing this very loud voice going, are you him? Are you him? <laughs> so loud. So loud in an airport, right? And so, like, if somebody says that, your instinct, if you have any self-preservation, isn't necessarily necessary to look around and go, "Who me?" Like, I was like, mm, "I hope it's not me. I hope I'm not him, whoever him is." Like, he was like, and then all of a sudden, he was like right in front of me. And like I say, we're we're sat in like an airport bar that's facing out towards like the general, you know, traffic of the of the airport. So I'm basically like looking at his tummy, right, as I'm sat. And this person is standing over me. I look up. He, he looks down. He goes, "You are him. You're Xander. Oh Xander." It's so loud, but it got so funny because I was just, I was, just, I just wanted to die. And then all of a sudden, he was just brilliant because he started going, "Oh, I love it. I love you. We love you. I love the way you aggravate those bitches. <laughs> you aggravating those bitches makes me so happy." You know, they're all swanning around with their hair and their gowns and their, their power suits. And you just aggravate all them bitches. You just keep aggravating. And it just, my wife was pissing herself next to me, trying to keep it together. And he was like, all, like, everybody's looking at me. Everybody's looking at us. And I just, and so all I could do is just like giggle and like stand up and like give him a hug. And be like, oh, well, uh, glad you enjoyed the show, buddy. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep trying to antagonize the women on the show. Oh <laughs> like, you aggravate them. You aggravate them. Uh, then, everything uh, is bigger in Texas. I live in Austin, so as soon as you said it, you, you know it. In, I knew which airport you were in. <laughs> I was like, here it comes. Because, well, I went to the the event that y'all had. I drove from Austin to Houston just to go to that event, and no. then I drove right back home. So <laughs> we wrapped around that mall three times, and just about i was doing interviews in the line and everybody's like oh my god paul telfer is so fine he's so fine oh my god look at him and i was just like yeah whatever and you walked by and i was like hello <laughs> you know well he wasn't into any of that he just liked that i um that i drove like eve and marlena and um <laughs> hope i just like that i drive them all nuts and i just thought it was such a great like insight into you know, everybody everybody that gets into these shows finds their piece of the show that is their like thing like yeah. so that, like my dad's into the show like my dad like they're showing um he's back in the uk and they're showing days are lives back in in britain now but it's all shows from like 18 months ago. So he's like way behind. And so he's on this like, you know, little drip of, uh, and, I, and I have to try and remember what's going on in the storyline so I can explain what's going on. But now he watches episodes that I'm not in just because he's gotten sucked in. And a big part of it is that he just likes all the glamorous, you know, 
women of a certain age that are on the show. And so he's, you know, I think I'm going to have to sort him out of, like a Zoom date with Suzanne or something once. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's about to get his teeth fixed. I have to wait for him to get his, his, his teeth fixed and then I think we're going to try and set up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Do we, do, I'm going to ask because I want to know, do people slide into your DMs with the nudes? Your face? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's 2020. It's 2020. Like, what do you want to say? But I delete them all. Oh, well, yeah. I just delete them. I just delete and block. Okay, I'll let the fans. I just, I just delete and block. Uh, <laughs> exactly. For those who are not seeing the video right now, of course, because it's a podcast, he just showed his ring, so he all backed off. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll send out the message. Hey, do oh, you're going you to send me something, Dee Dee. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep an eye out for you, Dee Dee. But you're letting me know. If anybody says they got blocked by you, I know what they did now. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. You'll know. Yeah, we'll know. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, anyway. <laughs> Rodrigo, let's go to you. What's your final question for Paul? So, Paul, is there an actor an a or actress on days that you haven't worked with that you would want to work with in the future? Well, outside of, um, outside of getting scenes with, with Billy, um, I have to say it's 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 getting it's more like a bingo thing now where like who haven't I worked with? Do you know what I mean like who haven't I you know who who do I want to like strike off the um the you know, the the bingo card? But um I I suppose the the biggest like you know kind of um glaring uh omission is that well I I have had little scenes with Drake and but it felt to me that like there should have been more of a um a payoff for the fact that I shot Marlena. <laughs> and so um, oh, you know, yeah. I always felt like a, a bit more of a of a John Black like reckoning for Xander was uh, was due. And we, we never really got we did get like there was a lot going on at the time um in the show, so it wasn't like a pressing concern to address that particular storyline when we were interacting. But I, I would like a bit more of that because I just really enjoyed Drake generally. He's just a really awesome guy to be around. Um, but also, like, he's a very specific kind of, of soap performer and very different from the way I approach things. And I just in, enjoy, I think, it, I think that would be a lot of fun. And, and also, like, he just ties into that, that, that big, like, 80s style, like, romance. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, the true, like, soapy romantic lead. So I want to try and osmotically absorb some of that off of him. You know what I mean? But, but I guess that doesn't quite count because I have had a couple of little tiny scenes with him. But yeah, more more with, more with everybody, but especially more with Drake. And, Look, and I guess at this point, them. you know, John said, forget that because Marlena's been possessed, held in a golden bird cage, you know, <laughs> yeah. been a serial killer. Yeah, he's over I, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think John, John has his own. John. A mere shooting. <laughs> yeah, it's just another Tuesday. You know? <laughs> he's like, hey, Doc, want a burger after you get out of the hospital? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, so anyway, Alan, let's go to you. What is your final question for Paul? So congrats on the fake sex with Zara. It was great. <laughs> but with COVID, COVID, with COVID, you won't be able to film scenes like Lad. So will you, are you down to get some mannequin? Like they would do on the Beautiful? Or Definitely. kissing mannequins? 
I mean, you know, it, it'd just be like my teenage years all over again, like practicing, like <laughs> screeching the teddy bear and all that. You know, um, look, if there's a paycheck at the end of it, I'll kiss whatever they want me to kiss. Hello. Okay. Um, Hello. No, I got a clear. Yeah. Oh, Dad is going to show up and he's going to be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I do feel like we got lucky with the timing of things that we got to shoot that big, like, intimate scene right before the whole way you shoot television, you know, for the next two or three years change, you know, uh, drastically. So, like, that's nice that we got that big, you know, and I, I'm sure they'll do some flashbacks to it over, over the, the the months to come in order to, you know, keep the, the lasciviousness quotient high. Um, but... Also, I think Lindsay and I can still get a lot of romance going um, with like longing looks and social distance, you know, six foot apart, you know, um, as long as like the look of love is, is in the eyes and everything, I think we'll be able to like, pull it off, um, for want of a better phrase. And um, the main thing that made me giggle was, so right before this all really got so serious, um, I was joking with everybody about how we were going to end up, you know, we're going to have to end up doing it. Um, uh, oh, his name just jumped out of my head, but the Christian actor that used to only be able to kiss his wife and, you know, he'd do these like Christian movies and the actress would get oh, replaced for close up. Yeah. Kirk Cameron, that's it. Um, I was just yeah. joking. We're going to have to do it. Kirk Cameron style. The guy was a real trail, trailblazer. He, he's shown the way. And then sure enough, they've started suggesting that on some of the other shows. And then when I was getting my little orientation call the other day from Dave, and they said, all right, looks like we're coming back. And here's how it's going to work. And the, the producer did mention to me, like, yeah, maybe we could talk about, you know, Carmen coming in and we just, you know, get, get like shot from behind the head. So we can just, I was like, please. That would be hilarious. Uh, like, uh, the, the, the more fun, the better. Like, so you know, we'll, we'll find a way to make it work. I'm sure. Put her in a Lindsay Godfrey way. Love in the afternoon. But I mean, think about it. Yeah. They've been doing those those soulful looks and all that other stuff for uh, over a year now. So I think it's just par for the course for y'all. Because I mean, yeah. there wasn't a lot of physical intimacy, but y'all were scorching it up with just a little look. So I don't even. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully we can keep some of that going for sure but it is it's gonna i'm really looking forward to it obviously just to get back to work would be fantastic but it's a strange way to make television anyway like the way we do days like it moves so fast and it's it's almost live the way we make it and so i'm actually really interested to see how the new um you know regulations affect not just the flow of the day but it might lead to certain things that i prefer i think about the way everybody approaches the work and the preparation everyone's doing and um yeah so I'm, I'm i'm kind of stoked about it also just because you know this won't last forever even though it feels like it will and look you know i can just imagine like 10 20 years from now looking back on this period and just being grateful to have been a part of it and to be able to work under these circumstances to have a job right now is is a very fortunate position to be in so yeah I, i'm just going to make the best of it wherever it is even if i have to you know Kiss a mannequin's booty. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, team. You'll, bring, you'll bring entertainment to the people, which is what Try. it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Tiggs, let's head back to you. What's your final question for Paul? Paul, if you and Xander were friends, what type of advice would you give him in terms of Sarah and 
try not to fuck up too much. <laughs> Things are getting too good. That's a selfish <laughs> Yeah, I, I would, I would give him a lot of the advice that I wish I'd been given early on, which is to, you, you can't make somebody fall in love with um, uh, a, a, a created self. Like you, you have to, you have to be yourself. You have to be okay with being yourself, and allowing the other person to fall in love with that person because no one's a good enough actor or liar or dissembler to be able to maintain a completely false persona for the length of a true, you know, happily ever after love story. Um, if you do that, it's always doomed to failure. And, you know, which is pretty much the storyline that we played out, you know, where, you know, he was trying to be something that he wasn't and it all collapsed. And, but yeah, that's, that is definitely the advice that I could have used early on as well, because, you know, when I was a young man, I, I just tried to be so perfect, you know, like try and be perfect, you know, um, gentleman boyfriend or, you know, or at least give the impression of being that when, you know, I'm a flawed idiot, you know, young man who makes mistakes and is selfish. And if I'd just been a bit more honest about that and my needs, I probably would have been a better boyfriend and you know, uh, just all around person, but you know, that's, that's the, the job of life, isn't it? The growth and self-improvement and all that. So I would never listen. If Xander had advice for me, I wouldn't listen to it. So oh, no, don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> he'd tell you if things weren't going your way, kidnap the person, whoever exactly. is uh, obstacle. <laughs> if in doubt, kidnap the baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, um, of course, we are so grateful as fans of Daytime Soaps to have episodes into October of Days of Our Lives, and uh, you revealed that you've already gotten the kind of rundown of how things might go when you return. So, is there anything that you can give us just to hang on through October of what's coming? Yeah, well, there's definitely going to be a lot of palace intrigue as to who gets to run Titan once, once Philip comes back, and a huge amount of tension between Xander and his newly reintroduced cousin. Plus, there's just, like I say, a, a more settled version of uh, Sarah and Xander now, where, you know, they're just, it's just good. Like, they're, they're, they just get to be in love for a minute, which is really nice and really fun to play. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's weird because um, you think those things are going to be easy and, and automatic or, or, or dull or whatever, but they're, they're not. They're still, you know, like to get that sense of like uh, relaxed intimacy and um, playfulness and have it not feel like two buddies. Do you know what I mean? Because that's kind of the problem in a, in a way. Lindsay and I are good buddies. So like you don't want that buddy energy to overtake the actual acting of the romance. And so I think, you know, we've, we've done a nice job there. But the, yeah, the, the main thing is the corporate intrigue and the beginnings of what I hope will be a, a growing maturity in Xander, but um, will almost certainly continue to be him just causing problems for himself and everybody around him. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, I am certainly excited, like all of us on this uh, podcast, to see what happens next. <laughs> Definitely. Me too. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so anyway, Paul, um, first, where can fans of yours watch your movie? And secondly, where can they find you on social media? Right. So uh, Green Rush, 
uh, starring, uh, written and produced by Paul Telfer, is available on iTunes and Amazon, and it should be on Redbox as well, but not necessarily with the physical DVDs. It would depend on what market you're in. Uh, this is, you know, this is uh, domestic US. Um, we are still in the coronavirus has slowed down lots of things and caused all kinds of issues with distribution, as you can imagine. But we'll have news on my social media very soon about its release in other markets, the UK and internationally and all of that. But yeah, I'm Paul Telfer on Twitter and Paul Telfer on Instagram. And that's it. I am on Facebook, but I never go on it because I hate it. Um, although there's a lovely Amen. fan account. Amen. I hate Facebook. I mean, I hate all of it. I hate all of it. Yes. I'm just not addicted to Facebook the way I'm addicted to the other two. So, you know, right. but if anybody can find a, a better version, I, I just, all I want is Instagram the way it was when it first came out. Like when it was just yeah. a chronological feed and a bunch of oh, fun pictures yeah. oh, and the occasional that, video. That like, that's all I want. I don't look. need all this yes. algorithms that, and, and reels. and <laughs> oh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I don't, I, I need it all. That I just want to follow some people sucks. and look at their pictures. That's Job it. done. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but so I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. It's my name. That's it. And I'm, I'm verified on both of them. There's a little blue check mark. So if that's not there, don't. It's about time to steal your money. Verify. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it's, it's a whole. Well, I have to say, like, I used to go on and on about, like, what is the point of getting nominated for a daytime Emmy? Does it actually help you with anything? And sure enough, it helped me get verified across social media platforms. So, <laughs> hooray! Yeah, yeah. I might not have won an Emmy, but I won yeah. verification. So, and you but, will, and you will always be known as Emmy nominee Paul Telfer. Paul Telfer. Well, hey, I'll take that there's away so from plenty me. of time to win a daytime Emmy. There's oh, yeah, I'm, I'm calling the next year. I like your optimism. <laughs> well, Paul, like thank it. you so much for uh, stopping by our little messy show. Uh, <laughs> and please come back anytime. We would love to anytime. have you. We love you. Thank you, Paul. Yes, Thanks for having me. What a treat. That was really fun, guys. Thank you so much. Thank Let's you so thanks. much. Cheers. Mwah. Big kiss. Uh, talk Bye. soon. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. 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 Thanks again. All righty. So, Dee, where can they find you on Twitter? Um, you can find me campaigning for that um, hot oil wrestling match between Philip and Xander. At oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want the people to get what the people want, okay? What do you mean? Uh, uh, and, and like you said, girl, and, and they can even have a sponsor child brought to you by Johnson & Johnson Body Oil Gel, honey. We can follow I, I will volunteer my services for free. I will be the hot oil girl. I'm about that life. Let's go. Look, I'll sign the COVID-19 release form to put it on them if they want me to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even need the form. I'll sign away everything. Just let me. Ah! <laughs> um, the always lovely and gorgeous Rodrigo, where can they find you? You can find me at Rodrigo's World 81. Marcus audio is cutting out worse than, oh. Oh, no, you can hear me. Rodrigo's World 81, y'all. Rodrigo's World I was like, World what 81. is this? The daytime Emmys on Connect TV? Oh. Oh, Lord. He said Connect TV, bye. Connect TV. <laughs> um, and then the always messy uh, Wendy Williams to our show. Tiggs, where can they find you? 
Well, you can find me pissing off all the Kelly Monaco fans at the best 11 out of They've been mad at my ass since Saturday, okay? They want your location. You better be glad I like you. And our unofficial publicist, Alan Sarapa Conifel, where can they find you? Barbie Alice Rafa sliding a soap actress DM trying to get him on the show. He's asking. Hey. It's yeah. not nudes, okay? He's just asking. I've never <laughs> had a nude in my life. Only, y'all. This is professional business, y'all. That's all. Oh, okay, Alan. Don't be full of shit now. I mean, if they come through with DMs, slide it, the nudes, you can bring them right over here. Now, yeah. Alan, with your Android phone, they probably can't tell what photo you sent, but otherwise. I don't have to pay $1,000 every year for a new one. Blamed. Oh, my God. <laughs> don't you be lying. That's fired. <laughs> But anyway, look, these people probably want us to stop talking. They're like, oh, this episode went downhill so quickly. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> thank you everybody for tuning in. And we will see you next time with more hot topics and more interviews right here on the chat. Stay tuned. Okay, y'all. I'm working on digging up Jeannie Cooper, y'all. Bye. Bye. I'm, I'm, work, I'm working on a big get, y'all. I'm working on a big get. I'm working on the big get. That's all I say. That's all Our I say. listeners will just have to keep listening. Keep, <laughs> tune in. Tune in. Good night, everybody. Bye. Good night, y'all.